You're listening to Alumni Allowed, a new podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career and the advice they would give current students. This series is sponsored by the Office of Career Planning and Professional Development at the Graduate Center. a PhD candidate in educational psychology at the Graduate Center. I interviewed Vanessa for this episode and I work in the Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. Today I'm talking to Vanessa Burroughs and she's going to tell us what her job is like as a historian at the FDA and she comes from our history PhD program. Hi Vanessa. Hi Abby. Hi thanks for joining me today. Thanks for asking me to join you. I do have to give um, a disclaimer. Uh-huh. Um, since I am a federal employee, I have to make it known that the opinions expressed in this interview are my own and not those of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Um, and I should also um, be clear that um, I'm not supposed to speak about uh, current projects that are underway. I can talk about the nature of the work and about things that are public uh, knowledge, but even though the stuff we're working on right now is intended for public viewing, I can't give specific details about it. Excellent. Okay, well, that's good to know. Why don't you start us off with how you got your job at the FDA? What what took you to the FDA to be a historian? Um, well, I guess there's a million different ways I could answer that. Um, the path, it was not a straight shot from, you know, uh, completing the uh, dissertation to walking through the doors at the FDA. And it definitely was um, circuitous and uh, unclear what I would end up doing once I had uh, left the Graduate Center. Mm-hmm. I had, during my degree, I had worked on uh, documentary film. So I had a little bit um, of experience in public history. Um, and that documentary film just happened to examine um uh, public health policy, and uh, particularly looked at the Department of Health, uh, health Education and Welfare, which is now the Department of Health and Human Services that, that the FDA is uh, falls underneath. So I don't know if that's synchronicity or um, uh, if it's just a peculiar circumstance, but the fact that I had a little bit of a background in public history definitely gave me um, uh, a leg up in looking for a non-academic job. Um, And I would say um, my willingness to do unpaid work after um, I graduated and to, and that's, you know, I'm being snarky by saying that, but um, I sought out volunteer opportunities to gain other kinds of skills. Um, And I worked in a museum, I helped curate an exhibit, I did some, um, you know, public communications um, for the for the museum. I worked in um, advocacy um, for the humanities, actually. And if anybody is listening and they um, don't know about the National Humanities <laughs> Alliance, it's a fantastic group that um, is helping um, uh, maintain federal funding for the humanities. Um, Great, yeah. I, um, I also um, did some um, work in digital curriculum for the Smithsonian. So I was really willing and really uh, eagerly sought out volunteer opportunities, both for intellectual curiosity and to keep myself busy while I was on the job market. And 
like I said, to um, develop skills. And so long as I'm mentioning it, I would also say, when you're looking for a job outside of academia, you need to have non-academic references. Mm. So volunteering is a really great way to build relationships with people that can vouch for your um, uh, talents <laughs> um, in a non-academic sphere. Yeah, no, that that's definitely a great tip. Um, but so so these were volunteer opportunities in general, the ones you just described, about four you just mentioned. Yes. Yes. And um, yes. so what skills were you picking up from those? What what ones what skills in particular did you think were most useful that you got out after you left uh, your program? Well, I got experience in doing different digital communications. I, another one I did was writing for a blog mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I would um, also say that in work in doing this volunteer work and in being on the job market for about a year and a half, um, I was forced to think about the kinds of skills I already had as well um, and how they're adaptable to different kinds of settings. And so, and I have to thank your office a little bit for helping (laughs) me along this path because I met with Jenny when I was still a student and she took a look at my uh, CV and helped me turn it into a resume. And it was the beginning steps of me thinking about, well, you know, how do I think about what skills I have as a historian that are not just doing historical research? You know, what, um, how do I make my skills actionable in a non-academic environment? So critical thinking, project management, communications, being able to write, you know, those sorts of um, skills are certainly things that people are looking for in um, job candidates um, and being able to talk about them and identify them within yourself Mm -hmm. um, are really important. So uh, um, recognizing those skills was part of it, um, but in working with um, like, okay, so I volunteered with this museum, it was actually a historical society and it was the first time I got to curate an exhibit. Um, So doing that, doing public lectures, not just conferences, but, you know, for a general audience, giving guided tours um, to a public audience. In the Smithsonian, I was working on uh, putting together a digital curriculum. Um, And what what does that uh, entail, a digital curriculum for, say, the Smithsonian? So I was really lucky to get involved in this fantastic project that they're working on. I don't know if you know, the Smithsonian has this amazing 3D imaging initiative where they're taking, it's very, very cool. And they're taking various objects in their collection and making um, 3D models of them. And then they create these 3D tours and they're, you know, for certain objects, you can really see things that you can't see, you know, with the naked eye. Like the cosmic Buddha is this ancient statue that um, has the story of the life of Buddha etched into it but you can't see it because it's been worn away through the years, but with 3D imaging, they were able to really bring out the the relief. So at any rate, so the 3D imaging project was being used to create 3D models of original electromagnetic inventions and make 3D files that you can use to print out a 3D model. So we were developing this curriculum for middle school engineering students Mm -hmm. to use these, this, very cool cutting edge 3D technology to be, you know, involved in making their own electro, like discovering how electromagnetism works 
and what they could apply it to in different ways. And it was really this, you know, the, the hidden message was, you know, think of yourself as a maker and think of the world around you as a product of people being creative like that as well. So what I did was the history side of it. And I wrote about, like I created a scaffolded set of lessons that conveyed like basic biographical information about inventors, um, problems that they encountered and how they overcame them, what this social setting of their work, um, where their, how their work took place, what the impact of their inventions were, and the, and the larger scientific community that they operated within. And how much did your the research you were doing at the Graduate Center overlap with this? Did you really need to be, well, you were talking about inventors, right? Did you need to be a historian that knew about that stuff? going into it? Well, what my first semester at the Graduate Center, I took Joseph Dobbins class on the history of scientific revolutions, which is wow. fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I definitely had, you know, that was a benefit to me in designing this curriculum. And I taught for eight years and, you know, really, and had the experience in developing curriculum and scaffolding assignments. And Okay. So a lot of this, certain- would, a lot of that would come more natural to a graduate center fellow when who's been teaching in CUNY. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Have that experience. And knowing what works and what doesn't, you know, like what, uh, what you can expect to cover in a lesson and um, what, you know, how do I identify learning objectives, that, that kind of stuff. Definitely. I would not have been able to do it without having been a, um, a teaching fellow. Great. So why don't you tell us about, what a typical day would be like at work. Um, what kind of projects, you don't obviously can't give us details on the projects, but what type of projects uh, do you take on as the historian? I love my job so much mm-hmm. because I get to do so many different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I get to, so I do historical research. Obviously, um, I do it in response to uh, inquiries we get within the agency for various presentations or actual scientific research sometimes. I do it in response to external requests from the media, from researchers, um, from certainly for FOIA, for freedom of information requests. And I do it for projects we design in the history office. I am one of three historians at the FDA. John Swan and Suzanne Junod um, created the history office. And I'm very lucky to get to work with both of them. Um, I also have a collection of about 12,000, I think at this point, artifacts. And um, I preserve them, I catalog them, I do research on them. I'm also involved in our oral history program. We have about 250 oral histories that are available on our website and at the National Library of Medicine with people that, um, mostly FDA employees, but also people that are were um, did work related to the agency's mission. And we develop exhibits. One of the reasons I was hired and one of the things I'm most excited about doing is the virtual exhibit component of of the FDA history office's work. And and alongside that, there's also social media communications we do. So we do um, like Throwback Thursday, Flashback Friday, FDA history, um, little vignettes and case studies. And if that isn't enough, different kinds of things. Uh, Oh, and I also present our work. Sorry, that's an important one. I do presentations within the agency and to the public as well. And given my background in curriculum, one of the things that we're looking to the future that we're going to be developing are some teaching materials um, to make publicly available on our website. 
teaching materials so, about about what about FDA history. So um, I can't talk about stuff that we're working on right uh -huh. now. Um, Something but, that's completed. Um, uh, thing. Well, I can talk about in the abstract. I can say um, you know there are certain periods in the agency's history um, that were really formative where there, you know, there's uh, legislative reform and the agency was given new regulatory powers. Mm. Um, and one of those was in the 1930s. So you don't generally, when you're studying the New Deal in American history classes, you don't generally learn about the FDA, um, but there's certainly um, very, you know, the, the themes that you study um, in the New Deal about using the government to promote social welfare and leadership of FDR and things like that interact with uh, or, or are revealed in the FDA's history of that time too. So that would be something that you could bring forward to help teachers integrate FDA history into their own content obligations. Okay, so it sounds like no two days are exactly alike. No. Ah, and, and you like that? I love it. Okay, great. <laughs> I really do. It's fascinating. And I get to work with all different kinds of people, you know, I, with scientists, with politicians, with um, uh, communication specialists, you know, you name it. It's really fun. So on that note, tell us what it's like to be a federal employee, maybe what's like to live in the D.C. area as well. Um, well, I guess if you're going to be a federal employee, the D.C. area is the best place to do it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I, I, you know, it's, I started in January of 2017. So I don't know what it was like before then. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll just leave it at that. But it's really rewarding for me, given my I, I concentrated um, on my you know, I'm a U.S. historian, but I created an, an ad hoc minor to allow me to specialize in the history of medicine and public health. Mm -hmm. And given my, you know, that background, the fact that I can actually work at a regulatory agency with a public health mission is extraordinarily rewarding for me. And one of the biggest benefits for me is that I'm a civil servant and I am doing something to advance public health um, in a meaningful way. And I get to use history to do that. Um, it's like if I could have designed a job for myself, <laughs> I'm 100 percent serious. I mean, I'm being silly, but I'm 100 yeah. percent serious. So it's really sort of like on that emotional, you know, yeah, spiritual level that um, I, I, you know, feel what it's like to be a federal employee. You know, I, it's having worked at a very large um uh, academic institution there's some similarities in you know um like this infrastructure and the feeling of bureaucracy and you know sometimes the hoops you have to jump through just to get approval to use a specific program on your computer and that, that kind of stuff but there's also the lack of students is a big difference <laughs> right i mean I, I'm the, yeah well and that's you know not great. Oh, you mean lack of students in the workplace? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, not you know, not interacting with students is a big difference. And I'm, like I said, really fortunate to have great colleagues, fellow historians that I work with. But there's only three of us, and so, you know, we we all seek out you know other scholarly communities outside of the FDA. But that's a big difference. You don't work in an office with a bunch of other 
um, academics. Of course, the FDA, people at the FDA have a lot of education behind them. So it's not like there's a lot of people that come from academia and then go back to academia, though not that many humanities PhDs. So do you ever get a chance to continue your own scholarship or, um, yeah, do you ever get a chance to continue research that you're interested in publishing or projects you're working on on the side? Or are you really just interested in the kind of work you're doing that's more actionable? Uh, well, both. Um, I actually um, am currently editing. I have a, uh, you know, I'm putting the finishing touches on an article that was accepted for publication in a, a historical journal. I started that before my work at the FDA, but as you well know, preparing an article for publication is a monotonous uh, ongoing journey. Um, and I'm still involved in the documentary film that I worked on. One of the big differences about um, being able to do non-FDA related research is you have to get approval for outside activities as a federal employee. Um, and different agencies handle it differently, but the FDA, since we regulate 20% of um, consumer products, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, the FDA has a more conservative attitude about what employees are allowed to do, what, what you're allowed to invest in, what how you're allowed to make money in your own private time. You know, if I was going to make money teaching a class about the history of FDA, that would be a little problematic considering that, you know, the public pays me to be an FDA historian. Mm-hmm. So doing outside activities, even my own research that is not directly connected to FDA, I still have to get approval to do that. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, I think that you explained that really well. Can you give can you give more detail on how you got the job? Like, did you see it posted somewhere? Was it a reference? Yeah. Were you already in D.C.? How'd that work? Um, so... I moved down to D.C. um, about a year before I got the job. I actually moved to the town that the FDA is located in. That was not planned. It was just Mm -hmm. fate. I'm just kidding. But my husband got a job in D.C. And so our family relocated down here. Um, And he was also in the history program. And we finished our degrees at the same time. So we knew we were going to be moving somewhere (laughs) Mm -hmm. for one of us to find a job. So I, you know, my approach to the job market at that point was to cast my net as widely as possible. And I applied for all different, I mean, all different kinds of jobs, policy jobs, um, public history jobs, um, communications jobs, advocacy jobs, you know, uh, oh, educational development and the curriculum jobs, all different kinds of jobs. I'm sure I'm missing many categories. Um, And I must have done, I shouldn't even admit how many, but probably 30 applications on USA Jobs. USA Jobs, right. That's a good source. Yeah. So USA Jobs is very tricky in figuring out how to, how to submit a strong application because it uses a computer, uh, I mean, a, a program that filters the applications before a human being ever sees them. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the right words in your resume. There's like keywords, right? Yeah. That's so the- if you're if you're applying for academic jobs, it's the cover letter that matters. Um, references as well, but the cover ma- cover letter that really matters. And USA Jobs, no one will ever see your cover letter if you don't have a strong resume. And one of the, some of the best advice I got 
in the course of learning how to get through the USA job system is you literally have to have the same words in the job call in your resume or the computer will not pick it up. And having gone through the hiring process, I now know exactly that your, you know, the HR representatives have to match your skill set that's listed in the actual document, your resume that you filed in order to make sure that you are qualified for the position. Wow, so, that's a good tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you might feel like you're plagiarizing the job call, but you literally have to have the exact, if it says, you know, if your background is in, you know, you've got public speaking skills from, you know, being a professor, but it says oral communication, you need to switch public speaking to oral communication so okay. that the computer will pick it up. So I did tons of U.S. history, I'm sorry, USA jobs applications and eventually got through. And just a funny little quirk, I actually was told I was rejected for my job by the computer. It, but and then, then I got, got the interview. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, so are we to tr not trust the USA job system? I'm not, I'm not saying that per se. I mean, some <laughs> of the jobs I applied for I'm, are still open. Oh, um, nine months later, like a year, yeah. Yeah. So over, over nine. Over, months yeah. Um, and, um, some of them were taken down and revised and I got for, for two of them, I got emails that said I was invited to reapply to the new listing. Oh. So it's, you know, it's a crazy universe it's unto itself. Yeah. yeah. The U S jobs and applications. Are and I don't suppose this would be very off putting, um, for, people who are considering academic, I mean, on the academic job market, you interview in like February, March, April for a job that won't start till September. Mm -hmm. um, the hiring process in the federal government takes a long time. So don't think you're going to start two weeks after your interview. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, I, I started month and a half or two months after my interview. And that was an, a very expedited process. Because the did, background did check alone through, takes. I was just about to ask, did you have a lot of background yeah. checks to go through? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I actually had been, I had um, been offered a, uh, another job in the federal government um, two weeks or something before I got the job at the FDA. And so they had initiated my background check already. Oh. So that expedited the process. Okay. Um, and what was the but, other one you were looking into? What's another one that might have interested you? Another job? It was at the. It was at the Department of Education as a writer. Okay. Um, a, the writer job title, um, it's, it can mean so many different things. Um, you know, I, I work with writers at the FDA that write, you know, uh, or contribute to writing for the commissioner's speeches. But there's also writers that, um, you know, the position I was, I was um, interviewing for at the Department of Education was all web-based writing. The, I mean, for the Department of Education website. Mm -hmm. So it can mean a lot of different things. So um, it's just the way they classify the, um, the, the government pay scale. And so do you think that what drew you to choose the current job you have is that you kind of signed, you saw it as being a mixture of all your, your interests and your hopes to do public service as well? Do oh, absolutely. That's what drew you? Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, it, it, like I said before, if I could have invented a job for myself, I would have invented something like this. Um, That's amazing. It's, yeah, I, it's a, I love the job. 
the fact that they actually ended up offering it to me. And was there um, a PhD requirement for this job? No, there wasn't. So are you working with, um, I mean, I know you have two very seasoned historians, but about like in your office or in your department, like, are there other PhDs? Are you? Yeah. Um, there's PhDs all over the FDA. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, Usually um, science both, um, do you have other humanities PhDs around? Well, there are actually, there's a, um, a group of social scientists. Um, uh-huh. Some of them, for, uh, I know that sounds like they're not um, humanities, but there's, um, it was started actually by a historian of science. Um, so, and um, they're involved in like health literacy um, uh, and like uh, risk evaluation, that, that sort of stuff. Um, there's, you know, the, the two historians I work directly with are both um, uh a uh, whole PhDs in history. Um, and I'm sure there are others that I'm unaware of um, no, somewhere um, yeah. in the FDA, but um, yeah, mostly. Know that there's there's other positions if they're interested yeah. in getting to a department like this, an agency like this. Um, so what kind of experiences at the grad center while you were um, still either, I don't know, taking classes or maybe during your um, dissertation phase, um, what kind of experiences did you gather um, that you think are helping you out now, or you picked up skills doing these things? I mean, you know, one, one skill that all humanities, anyone who's working on a dissertation should recognize that they have is project management. And that's something that any uh, organization needs. And, you know, I often think if I had done my dissertation just like five years earlier, I probably wouldn't have used a cloud based organizational system. You know, I probably wouldn't have had a tablet or, or a smartphone to take into the archive to take pictures of the records that I was working with. And it just would have been a very different organizational system and would have completely changed my workflows. At any rate, the fact that I operated that way um, as I was working on my dissertation certainly prepared me for the way that I organize information in my current job. And I mean, adapted in a different environment, but nevertheless, being able to, being fluent with those sorts of technologies, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And um, being, I was just thinking today, I was writing something and thinking that my grant writing experience, um, like being able to make a succinctly and impassionately argued statement about why something matters is, I use that all the time. That's a really important skill. So uh, applying for fellowships um, or any other grants people might be involved in, that is, and also something that should be on your resume for sure. (laughs) Great. Really important. Yeah. It's, you know, so not to um, borrow the current jargon, but, um, you know, one of the key 21st century um, job force skills that people look for is critical thinking. And if you're on the job market and you don't have, if you can't articulate how your background and in your doctoral studies has has helped you hone critical thinking skills, um, you're doing yourself a disservice. That's definitely, you should be able to have like a talking point on that. Mm-hmm. You know, critical thinking, problem solving, running towards conflict, those kinds of things. If you're looking outside of academia, like that's definitely, you'll see those words in job calls. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the interview was like? 
or if the um, process was it a multi-step thing yeah so uh, um first um i got an email that said i was a candidate for the position and i set up a call with, with an hr rep and they said that they basically just went, you know, reviewed the process, said that I was going to be invited in for an interview, scheduled the, the date and that kind of stuff. Um, I met in person with um, my current colleagues and it was about an hour long and they, sh you know, we talked about the position and of course they asked like, what I could bring to the position and asked me about my background a little bit and um, showed me around um, the FDA campus and, you know, the um, like the art, our artifact collection, things that we'd be working with. And afterwards, I heard back, I don't know, um, maybe two weeks later and no, it was less than that, about a week later, I think, and found out I, I got the position. And then there was um, many layers of coordinating with an HR rep who's actually based in Atlanta <laughs> um, to, you know, to discuss um, my terms of accepting the job. And, you know, like as a federal employee, you can enter with how a certain amount of hours that you earn every pay period for leave or for sick time. And that's something that can be negotiated. You can negotiate salary, that those sorts of things. And of course, I had to complete the background check, which takes about three weeks. It could easily take more. I, I've definitely heard of cases in which people were hired in the background contingent on the completion of the background check as mm -hmm. it was still being conducted. Mm -hmm. But a fun tip about federal employees and going through the background check, you're pre-cleared for TSA. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, because you've already gone through the background check. Mm -hmm. um, and and then after that all was settled, um, we just settled on a date that I would begin. Um, and I went through three day orientation process with an enormous group of other people that were onboarding. And then I began my job. Great. And from what I hear, it was that onboarding, those three day sessions are kind of like, this is what you can do as a federal employee. This is what you are not supposed to be doing, um, how you represent. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, also like, yeah, I mean, basic stuff about the campus, you know, like, uh, there's definitely sessions about, you know, health insurance, life insurance, you oh, know, great. employee benefit, that kind of stuff. Okay. And definitely IT security, um, oh, yeah. um, your legal obligations, freedom of information. There's a lot. So you graduated, mm -hmm. um, and then it took about a year and a half to find the job. You were searching for that whole year and a half, did you say? Yeah, I was. Um, and I was doing I was on the academic job market, too. And so I was like, you know, really, I really embraced the idea of making my job search a full time job, mm -hmm. as well as the um, other jobs I sort of cobbled together to keep busy and active and make money. Uh, well, I was also interested in um, networking tips that you have for oh, your yeah fellow students that are going to um, be out there soon and did you sure. start doing that or do you have any advice for people that need to start networking yeah I mean I I definitely did it but it wasn't I wasn't like just you've seen my LinkedIn page I don't have like 500 connections on LinkedIn but I, I definitely kept in touch with people that were in my field and especially people that are also in the job market and you know shared tips you know sending links to job calls and 
things like that. And like I said, I did so many different, like through the volunteering and I guess my odd jobs, um, I met a lot of different kinds of people and heard about different kinds of positions. I was in touch with some of my members of my cohort about like, they, you know, I have some of my cohort got academic tenure track jobs. Some of them are um, left before they completed their dissertation for non-academic track jobs. And it's just a great diversity of things that people ended up doing. And the point I'm trying to make is that being aware of the range of possibilities, you know, I I don't know if you call that networking, but just knowing that, that everyone was, you know, I know, like I have friends that went into uh, working for digital curriculum designers. Um, I have a couple friends that did that. Um, I have friends that went into policy at think tanks. I have friends that went into careers as in, in advocacy um, as activists. So, oh, and certainly in the arts, in museum studies um, or museum, actual beyond studies, <laughs> museum um, planning and um, development. I have friends that, that are that do development. So just like knowing that there's a broad universe of possibilities um, open to, to me, I think, I don't know that I was working my connections to get an interview always, but okay. um, I talked to all kinds of people. Great. Um, is there anything else um, you want to say to students, maybe some fellow historians who are worried about what they should do with their history PhD? I would definitely say start thinking about your skills in a, you know, beyond academia as soon as possible. You know, think about what you do as a historian and how, you know, uh, that applies beyond or not just historians, any anyone involved in the humanities. Think about the ways that you do research, uh, the ways that you organize material, the ways that you uh, vet sources, the ways that you communicate. Think about your skills and how they apply to different careers. And, you know, it might help you realize something that you actually really enjoy that's a component of your specialization, but something that you might want to pursue um, in a non-academic setting. And talk, you know, I, I know that some people will, I know very well that some people are hesitant to talk to their um, advisors um, or, you know, teachers they have a close relationship with um, about pursuing a non-academic track job. But mm-hmm. I would say if you, if your advisor doesn't support you in that, you might need to develop a, another mentor relationship with someone else because it's just realistic and I know that a lot of people don't find the support they need or that departments need to find a better way to support students in searching for non-academic track jobs and if students initiate the conversation the the department will have to respond yes Um, our our office feels the same (laughs) yeah um, and it, you know, it's hard to hard to come up with the question when you don't know exactly what to ask. Like, mm-hmm. how do you help me find a job? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but let you know, I, I fundamentally feel like if history departments and English departments, and yeah, sorry, not to just blame history, began from day one, even during the admissions process, talking about how being a historian is useful not just for doing historical research, that it would be a great service to students, and you know and to the field. 
Yeah. And then to the public at large, like what you're doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Good. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, if that's everything, then we can conclude our interview. And I just want to thank you um, for hopping on the call with me. Well, thanks for asking me to be involved in this, Abby, because like I said, I feel a debt of gratitude to your office and oh. to Jenny. And um, I'm really excited that you guys are offering this to grad center students. Thanks so much to Vanessa for taking the time to be interviewed for this episode of Alumni Allowed about her work at the FDA. If you want to meet with a career counselor from our office like Vanessa did, visit us at cuny.is slash career plan to make an appointment. You can also learn more about your career options by attending one of our events or following us on Twitter at careerplangc for the latest news and updates. We hope to see you soon.